we are blessed uh, today and yesterday, all weekend, to have Pastor John Stumbo. He is the president of the denomination in which this church is a part of, the Alliance. And my wife and I had the privilege, uh, it was only like two weeks after we became a part of ACAC. I was not a part of the Alliance family. And we had the privilege of meeting John and his wife, Joanna, and having a meal with them. And I just tell you, it was a great introduction to the Alliance <laughs> for us. And I could give you a list of where he pastored and his education and his qualifications. But to me, his most important qualification, or for me personally, he is a pastor to pastors. And he is a man of God, incredibly humble and filled with God's spirit. And it's our privilege to welcome him today. So would you give him a warm ACAC welcome, Pastor John Stumbo. Thanks, bro. It's a sweet morning. Yeah. Thanks, Christian. Good morning, ACAC. Well, 10 o'clock came to worship, didn't you? <laughs> not, not that 6 and 8.30 didn't, but you guys came to worship. So. Uh, bless you, bless you, bless you. You are blessed, by the way. Uh, I, I get to be in lots of churches, in lots of places, and there's lots of good things happening around the country, but to have a pastor like Pastor Allen who can shepherd a difficult moment like you're having in this city, and to have Pastor Christian lead a worship team like this uh, with this kind of engaged worship, you, you are a blessed people. So I hope you don't... Take for granted, ACAC, this is a sweet and beautiful work of God that has uh, gone on for a long time and uh, with Pastor Rock and Karen through the years and now um, Pastor Allen and Tara. We're just, we're really, really grateful for the congregation. And we know it's not a, just about senior leaders, it's about a whole, y'all, yuns, yins, yins, that made... That make up that make up the church, and uh, each of us each of us has our part. So we're we're finishing out this uh, missions month. <laughs> There's not many churches that do a whole month of, of missions, but you guys go after it. Last week, Dr. Kathy, who's on our board of directors with the Christian Missionary Alliance, gave a great word on uh, having an eyes to see those who are newer to our communities, the immigrant immigrant population. I'm so grateful for her and that message and. So today I get to finish out the series. Some of you may have heard the story of the uh, missionary. The Bible had just been translated into yet another language, and he wanted to get uh, copies of the New Testament out there. So he was passing them out on the street, and he came across a rather hardened-looking individual who was sitting on a curb making his own handmade rolled-up cigarettes. And the missionary offered him a Bible, and the guy said, Mr., I got no idea what that book is you're trying to give me, but you need to know if you give me a copy, I'm just going to tear out the pages, roll them up, and use them for my cigarettes. What would you do? Would you give him a Bible? I think the Spirit of God gave him an insight right in the moment. And the missionary said, promise me that you'll read every page before you smoke it. <laughs> Deal. Guy promised he would. Missionary didn't see him again for 15 years. He was at a church conference, and this guy was introduced to give his testimony. And a man stood up and said, yeah, I was sitting on a curb making my own cigarettes when this guy offered me a book. I didn't know what that book was, but, but I promised that I'd read every page. Well, I kept my promise. I read every page, but I smoked Matthew. <laughs> I smoked Mark. I smoked Luke. But when I got to John 3.16... I just couldn't smoke it anymore. 
And many of you know what he read, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And once again, the gospel of Jesus was entering into a human soul, the message of the love of Christ, the message of forgiveness and grace and mercy and redemption was coming into a human life and transforming him from the inside out. And that is the gospel that we just sang about two songs ago, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now we declared that in song, in that great song, but today I want to challenge us in that as we wrap up this missions month. See, not everybody has access to this message or people that think they've already heard it don't really know the depth of it and they've written off something they don't fully understand. And so we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity. One of the international workers that you support, and by the way, ACAC, thank you. As a church, every year you give about 10% of your church's income to send international workers, missionaries, to the least reached places of the earth, 700 and some of those through the Alliance family that you support. And so every story that I tell today are your stories because you're participating in this as a, as a church. So one of those international workers working in a Muslim setting, a female, was having a, a secret clandestine Bible study, had a single copy of the Bible on her kitchen table, and women, fully uh, dressed in their burqas, came uh, sneaking into her house, not wanting to be uh, identified or seen. But then when they got in there, they were eager to gather around God's word and hear what the Bible had to say. One of the women uh, throughout the Bible study interrupted our international worker for a moment and said, I'm sorry, I don't want to embarrass you, but I th you're just learning Arabic, and I think you just made a language mistake. Oh, what was that? Because our missionaries learn a new language. We do make mistakes. And she said, you just told us that we could be forgiven of everything we've ever done. Certainly I misunderstood you because that's impossible. No, our international worker said, I didn't make a language mistake. That was actually what I was trying to say because that's what the Bible says, that, that Christ came to forgive us of everything. Now, now, that was a brand new concept, so unreasonable in that woman's mind that it must have been a language mistake, and we believe that's a justice issue, that you can still live in this world today and not know that forgiveness is available. And so you're part of this family that takes seriously getting this message of Jesus to the places where it's not yet been taken. And some of those are very difficult places, like your neighborhood or a Muslim or communist country somewhere across the globe. Our text for the day is John chapter 4. The fourth chapter of John, Jesus is introducing his disciples to ministry, and he takes them on a field trip, so to speak, as they pass through Samaria. Now, if you're aware of the New Testament times, you're aware that the Samaritans were a people that the Jews did not associate with. There was no pretending of like an undercurrent of ethnic, you know, uh, racial stuff. No, no, it wasn't undercurrent. It was just overt. We don't associate. We don't like. We name call. We do all sorts of things. It was just blatant um, between the Jews and the Samaritans. And Jesus goes right into the heart of Samaria. 
takes his disciples and sends them into town to get lunch. <laughs> just have a little uh, experience of having to actually deal with the locals. And they couldn't just get through the drive through at McDonald's. You know, they actually had to encounter people and buy, you know, things uh, over a market. And so he's left back there alone as a woman comes and they have this rich conversation where it's the or one of the first times and Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah. And he does so to the outcast of the outcasts. Are you with me? The Samaritans were already an outcast people group, and she is the outcast of that people. That's why she's alone in the middle of the day getting water by herself, not when everybody else is doing there. Because she is, you would have a difficult time finding a more marginalized person in the whole country than this woman. And Jesus has a one-on-one -on -one conversation with her. But at the end, she is so excited that, as you see, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples, having brought lunch, urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, because some of them have brought him food. <laughs> they really were clueless at this moment. My food, explains Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Now, obviously, Jesus ate food. We, we know that. He was a human. He had to eat to live. But he's talking about a deeper form of nourishment and satisfaction. And some of you know what he's talking about. So when the Holy Spirit of God moves within us to be involved in his mission, when he stirs in us to engage in the things that God himself cares about, when we become his hands, his feet, his dollar, his prayer, his action, his compassion, when we live that out through the Spirit in our neighborhoods and to the nations, there is something fulfilling there is something nourishing, something satisfying. It just feels good to our souls. I have food to eat. You guys don't know anything about it yet. You're real new in this thing. You're just going to know ministry and what I'm doing and who I am. But you're going to learn someday what it is to be fed deep in your soul by living out the mission that God has placed in your heart. And then, uh, it, it's, it's like... Keep up, keep up, because Jesus is going to move on to another subject or, or have a bridge, a segue here that's real fast. So don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? Now, it's very possible that at that moment, they are in an agricultural setting on this hillside where there's a well. Down below is the village, just like the chosen pictured it. Little, little joke, little joke. I mean, I love that show. I love that show, but it's not, you know, they, they can't do everything, you know, in country. But, but all that to say, very possible there's grain fields, wheat, barley, some sort of grain fields just sprouting up, and they're saying, oh, four more months and they'll be harvest, just like in Pennsylvania, oh, four, uh, corn, you know, coming out of the ground in May, oh, four more months, and then comes the harvest. But I tell you, open your eyes. Your theme for this month, missions month, eyes wide open. Open your eyes and look at the fields. Is he looking at the grain around them or is he shifting their eyes at the people coming out of the village? That, based on the woman's testimony, they're ripe for harvest. 
What were the disciples saying? They were saying, four more months. This isn't the time. Samaria. This isn't the place. Samaritans. These aren't the people. This isn't the time. This isn't the place. These aren't the people. And Jesus says, actually, open your eyes. This is the time. This is the place. These are the people. And we're going to spend the next two days here, whether you like it or not, <laughs> which is what they do. Jesus ministers there in that town for two days. Many become uh, his followers. Some of the earliest followers of Jesus Christ on planet Earth were people that a lot of people had nothing to do with. The Christ who comes to break down all those dividing walls between ethnicities, between male and female, between young and old, between rich and poor, just blowing it all up, writing a whole new description of what it is to be family of God. Beautiful. Is it possible today uh, that we still live with some of this, this is not the time, this is not the place, these are not the people kind of thinking? Like the last two years? <laughs> uh, this isn't the time for like evangelism, church planning, you know, mission sending. Yeah, have, have, haven't you seen the news? Haven't, don't you know about COVID? Haven't you seen the economy? Don't you know how much gas prices are? Don't, no, this isn't the time. You know, all, the, all this political upheaval, how divided our country is. The, the whole nation's got a, you know, low-grade fever. Everybody's mad about everything, you know. <laughs> I was in the hospital for 77 days and one day had a kink in my catheter. <laughs> it, was, it was not happy because I couldn't communicate about it. And it was a long time before the nurse realized I had a kink in my catheter. That became a metaphor for me. <laughs> The, 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 the whole culture is just kind of irritated because there's a kink in the catheter, you know. That's on edge, on edge, on edge, you know. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't share that in the other services. Probably shouldn't have shared it in this. Oh, well. That's, oh, that's way till we're online to just bear it all. Okay, it's great. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. This isn't the time. Don't you know how irritated everybody is? Oh, time out, time out, time out. Uh, let me take you to Ukraine. Uh, you have helped support work in Ukraine through your giving, Great Commission Fund. Thank you. Some of our churches have had to close and the mission, uh, excuse me, the, the, the believers flee to other countries, and they are looking at where they can plant churches in the country they now live. Some have been able to stay open, and one of those scrappy churches has baptized almost 20 people since the war broke out. Another one of those churches is, is our, kind of our, our mission center there and rented property, and uh, they've chosen to buy land and to expand their ministry base. You, your country is under attack. You know, if, if Putin has his way, you're going to be Russia eventually, and you're doing what? You're, well, yeah, land's cheap right now. It's a good time to extend the reach of the gospel. Now's not the time in Ukraine. Well, tell them that. 
Same thing happened in Syria. Some years ago, uh, during the Syrian civil war crisis, millions of people were fleeing uh, Syria. But we've got lots of strong churches in Syria as part of the Alliance family. And uh, we took an offering of $50,000 at one of our conferences and gave it to the president of the Syrian church. No strings attached to it, whatever you want. And uh, two years later, I saw him and uh, said, hey, by the way, what would you do with those funds? And he said, oh, we bought land. A civil war, and you bought land. Well, yeah, land was cheap, and we had property. We wanted to expand a ministry. We had more to do for the kingdom of God. I love it. Uh, just in the last uh, uh, year, 2021, 20, the U.S. Christian Ministry Alliance, the sister churches, planted 57 other churches and multi-sites in 2021. Over one a week. When people are saying, no, it's not the time. No, no, no. None of this four more months thing, someday thing. Open your eyes. Now's the time. This isn't the place. (laughs) Oh, lots of us could say that around the world where uh, political and religious regimes put pressure upon societies and don't allow in people who want to, like us, who want to bring the message of Jesus. So you don't get to go to a lot of countries today with a visa stamped missionary, pastor, church planter, Bible teacher. You don't get that visa today. You do get a visa for business owner, for tourism, for you know, teaching English as a second language. You can get that visa and then you can bring the Bible in your suitcase <laughs> and bring Jesus with you. So there's still 4,000 people groups in this world specific languages or cultures that are an identifiable people group, 4,000 of them who still do not have access to this message of Jesus Christ that we're talking about today. That unless somebody comes from outside of their culture and moves in and brings the message with them, they will not have opportunity to hear because it's just not available among them. So 80% of the people that you are sending through the Christian Missionary Alliance are in what we call those closed access countries or regions with least uh, reached peoples. Um, Where it would be easy to say, this isn't the place. Uh, But no, we, we come and establish a meaningful, impactful presence is what we call it. Something of meaning and impact where we can have presence in a community. And uh, let's, let's go to a 90-second video just to you know, give a feel for the kind of things and kind of heart that's behind that when I talk about presence. Something we say a lot is actually our presence is our strategy. I mean, it's this way of access, you know, little to no access. And as a result, we're seeking to give people the opportunity to choose Christ. There's one church for every 30,000 people, so you do what you do because you're the only chance they have. People long for friends, and they long to be loved. In a culture where there's like less than 1% Christians, I think, yeah, somebody's got to go. There are many people just like us that don't know Jesus and that are lost without him. They have the half-truth gospel. A lot of people don't even think that God exists or that they have a soul. They don't even realize, you know, that it's something that can change their life. Ministry flows out of relationship, and so we need to be there in order to build relationships. On the ground, sharing the gospel. 
and that takes time. That's what's needed, people who are willing to put down roots. And when things get really hard, we can journey with them through that. It's very important. I mean, it was Jesus' pattern. That's why we answered the call. There's not a single time that we've had a conversation with somebody where they haven't come back with, we never knew that following Jesus could be like this. We didn't know that this was even possible. We've never met somebody with a living faith. They have never heard about what Jesus has done for them. How will they know if nobody goes? We have never met somebody with a living faith <laughs> that international worker has repeatedly to told. Uh, I'm, I'm going to shift now uh, as I move towards a close. You get the phrase of that as I move towards it. <laughs> uh, from talking to us as a whole, ACAC, and now let me talk to you as individuals. Because I can celebrate what we're doing as a whole, as a church, but I have no idea what you're doing as an individual. There's no way for me to know that. Uh, so let me shift to ask and inquire and probe a little bit for you. Have, have, have you found yourself in the category of the disciples, where you say, and you look at your workplace, or you look at your neighborhood, or you look at your extended family, and you say, not the time, not the place, not the people, just going to, uh, let me challenge that. <coughs> I challenged our staff, our, our senior leadership team, a couple years ago. We were living in Colorado Springs, loved it. Great place to live. Last time I was at ACAC, we flew out from Colorado Springs to be with you here. Great city, lovely location, beautiful office building in a business park. No problems, really. Um, it was all good. But sometimes leaders ask irritating questions. And I asked the senior leadership team, are we officed in the right manner? What do you mean? Well, we have a nice building in a business park, put our staff inside, and lock the door 40 hours a week, guaranteeing that the people who oversee the mission don't actually have to encounter a non-believer their entire career. Does that sound like wrong to anybody? But every Christian organization I know does it exactly the same way. Every denomination, every mission, every evangelistic organization, they all do it exactly the same way. We get a building, put our staff inside, lock the door, guaranteeing that we don't have to deal with the public or any non-believer as we do our job of overseeing the mission. So uh, since I asked one irritating question, you might as well ask two. <laughs> uh, if we're not, uh, and to a person, they agreed. No, we have to change the model. We have to be a disruptor. It doesn't matter if everybody's doing it. We have to disrupt the model. And second question, are we officed in the right city? Well, it had an airport that didn't go anywhere. We were a long way from hardly almost all of our Alliance churches. There was hardly any racial diversity of our staff because there wasn't racial diversity of the city. And it was getting more and more expensive. So... We uh, uh, looked for cities with top 100 airport, greater racial diversity, lower cost of living, and closer to more alliance churches. And that's how we landed in Columbus. And your denomination became the proud owner of a Kmart, <laughs> which the state paid us to tear down because they were so happy to get rid of that building. And now we have a 14-acre property right on Highway 40 Main Street uh, going into 
Reynoldsburg, which has got a lot of similarities to what you're doing right next door here with the hub, where we want to have a building that actually engages with the community so that as our staff comes to work, we're actually engaging with the community as we do so that people are overseeing a mission or on mission every day, all day, not just after hours. And so it's a big project. You're about a year and a half ahead of us with the hub, but uh, we'll catch up in time. And, um, and that, that for us is a way of beginning to live out this. We need to be engaged in community. And so one thing that happened as a result is I was speaking uh, at a church in Columbus. Our largest alliance church in Columbus is an Ethiopian congregation. And uh, they asked me to preach to the youth group before I spoke to the whole congregation. So fantastic. I'm happy to do so. About 40 or so uh, 13 to 23-year-olds, I, I would guess. All the guys sat over here. All the young ladies sat over there. I didn't know the rules, but I wasn't going to, you know, ask. I just, you know, that's all fine. And I tried to make it interactive, and so I would ask questions. They asked me if I would speak on the subject of the Holy Spirit. Fantastic. And so I, I was just uh, throwing out questions and, and trying to engage them. And every time, there were a few guys over here, their hands went up every time. And they had studied the Bible. They had good answers, theologically correct. It was great. But I wasn't hearing anything from the ladies. And every once in a while, I felt like the guy's answers were, you know, check the box. Know that one. I know that one. And um, so the question at the moment was, when the Holy Spirit really begins to change us from the inside, what happens in our lives? What, What difference does it make? How are we changed? The fruit of the Spirit. Right answer, correct. <laughs> Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. But, but I was probing a little more, and I wasn't asking for anything specific. I just wanted to, to probe a little deeper. And I said, ladies, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but is there anybody who would answer what happens, what changes within us? And she couldn't have been more than ninth grade and 90 pounds. But her little hand went up, and she said, when, when the Holy Spirit changes us, we see people we would otherwise miss. I knew two things at that moment. One, she knew the work of the Holy Spirit in her heart. And two, she knew what it was to not be seen. A young, small Ethiopian gal in our city looked right past, right over the world. I was in a wheelchair for 18, well, for a year. I was in a wheelchair. People that I knew, I had been in their home, first name basis, eight, ten feet away, didn't even see me. Why? Because their eyes never looked down to the wheelchair level. They just looked right over the top at eye level and don't even see the people in the wheelchair. When the Holy Spirit begins to stir in us, he already sees. It's not like I'm preaching a try harder church message. Get out there, do more for God. Come on, church. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm preaching. What I'm trying to preach is as we open ourselves more fully to the Holy Spirit in our lives, he already sees, he already loves, and he's already given you the gifts and whatever it is that you need at that moment to do whatever he's called you to do. Can you do everything? Nope. Can you write the check for the whole building? Probably not. If you could, what are you waiting for? (laughs) 
See, can we quit telling God what we don't have? I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't have, I'm too old. He already knows your age. <laughs> See, one of the great problems in the American church, American evangelical church today is people that are holding back what they do have because they don't think it's much. And if the little boy had had that attitude, a whole bunch of people would have gone home hungry that day. But instead they went home full because little is much in the hands of our Christ. And so would you, my friend, begin to offer to God whatever prayer you can pray, whatever word you can say, whatever dollar you can give, whatever relationship you can build. You do realize that chocolate chip, co chocolate chip cookies are the universal love language, right? <laughs> you may not speak the physical language of that new person that moved in across the block, but they speak chocolate chip cookie, I guarantee it. <laughs> Invite them to the Christmas service. They may not understand every word, but they will feel the music. And they will feel the spirit. You see, I'm, I'm just trying to close this missions month by saying to this sweet congregation who's doing so much for the kingdom of God locally and globally, I'm, I'm coming to you now as individuals and saying, are you engaged? Are, are, are you really living it out? Is there a conversation that you're supposed to have? Is there a, a, a money you're supposed to give? Is there a prayer you're supposed to pray? Is there some way that you're supposed to engage? Uh, some volunteer opportunity here at the church that you've been wondering about, and you just haven't gotten around looking into it yet. Well, well maybe the Spirit's prompting you. I didn't use this closing story with any other moment this uh, weekend, but um, as I walked in the room, I, this memory came back to me of being in the Philippines about uh, six years ago. Got to one of our largest Alliance Church uh, con uh, families in the world is in the Philippines, and when they gather for a conference, there's like 3,000 people in this big auditorium, and uh, it was a great conference, wonderful music, beautiful dance. It was just a delightful time, and I, pro I spoke probably five times. And uh, the last time I was going to share my story, which I've shared here in the past, and I used about 16 photos and a video to share the story. And uh, they had those big jumbotron screens, uh, not, not like you have here um, with projection, but, but it's, it was uh, those old school, uh, you know, like at a big old sports stadium, these jumbotron screens in this large auditorium. And when I got there that morning for this final talk where I needed the screens, they were black. They, they weren't working. And uh, I said to the tech director, uh, what's happening? He said, no electricity. Well, I don't know what that means in Manila, but it's probably not a good thing. And so, so uh, the worship leader had to stand up and do the say a line, sing a line, say a line, sing a line, because there were no words in the screen. And I prayed <laughs> with my eyes open and said, Lord, I really need those screens. And little flashes of digital nonsense came across that screen, and it went black again. I was sitting next to a friend of mine named Don. He was with the College of Prayer, Mr. Spiritual Warfare kind of guy. And I said, Don, I need those screens. Pray. And he does this. <laughs> he's rebuking demons. He's calling for angels. I don't know what he's doing, but he's going after it. The whole screen lights up with digital nonsense and goes black again. I said, well, you got more than I did, buddy. <laughs> now it's my time to preach. And I'm standing up there, and I am distracted. Black, black, black. 
Finally, I said, friends, you've noticed that the screens haven't worked all morning. I'm about to need them uh, for my message. Would you break into prayer huddles and just ask God to give us the screens? I wish I'd set my uh, stopwatch or something, but it had to be like four minutes or less. It was just a very small amount of time. Those screens lit up, worked perfectly, never had a glitch. The entire service went forward. Yeah, praise God. But that's not the whole story. (laughs) It was about two years later. I was preaching somewhere in the United States. I have no idea where I was. And a woman came running up to me, running up to me after the service, said, Dr. Stumble, Dr. Stumble, do you remember when you were in Manila? Oh, I love to have a beautiful time with your people. Thank you. Do you remember the service when the screens didn't work? Oh, I remember it very well. Do you remember how you had us break in a prayer group? She's retelling me the whole story. And then she said something I didn't know. She said, we're still telling that story in the Philippines. Why? Because it became their story. See, if God had answered my prayers, I might have had a story to tell, or Don's in my prayers, we might have had a story to tell. But the kingdom of God rarely advances in this world through one or two people just doing their thing up front. The kingdom of God advances in this world when each of us start to make available to God. I don't feel like it's much, but here it is. And when that all happens together, guess what? The kingdom advances. It becomes our story. And you can say with Jesus, I have food to eat you know nothing about. So may our eyes be open to the opportunities that are before us. Lord, kind Father, empowering Holy Spirit, sacrificial Christ we offer ourselves to you today Uh, does anybody while we're pausing this moment of prayer uh, just want to stand up right where you are I won't do anything else just stand up right where you are it's your way of saying the spirit of God's nudging me in a specific area conversation, some, something I'm supposed to give or do or be part of. You just want to stand at this moment and I can pray for you as you'd have the courage or the Spirit of God prompting something in, in your heart at this time to stand where you are. Father, I pray for these, whatever it is that you're stirring within us. I, I can see a I see a neighbor that feels really lonely right now. Coming to this city or moving to this neighborhood and it's like, how do you meet people around here? Nobody's reached out to me and I'm alone. Lord, may, may this be an answer to their heart cry right now. I'm seeing your wrecking ball of heaven coming against the false security of wealth in the American Christian bank accounts. We're we're trusting in that resource when we're supposed to be trusting in you. Crash against that false security of that wealth and release funds into your kingdom. I'm seeing blinders 
being taken off of people's heads that have only allowed them to look straight ahead and not down or up or sideways. And, and we take those blinders off and we open our hearts to whatever the Spirit would have us see and do and pray and say and give. So release courage in this room. Release joy in this room. And release your Holy Spirit in this room, Lord, for um, more of us to joyfully get to participate in your advancing kingdom and to have the heart of our Christ rather than the heart of those newbie disciples. Release within us all that we need to do, all that you call us to do, and free us from the shame or guilt or, or worry about the things that we can't do. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you stand to your feet today? We're going to dismiss here quickly. I know we're running a little late, but I want us to pray over the leader that God has put ahead of us. Would you extend your hand towards Pastor John? Father, we give you thanks today for the word that you put in his heart to challenge us. I pray that it would be more than a challenge, that we would leave here and we would be reminded of it on a Wednesday morning, on a Thursday afternoon, in a month, and two months, and two years from now. God, we pray your blessing upon him. That just as he gave us a word that this is the time, this is the place, and these are the people. Lord, we acknowledge that this is his time to lead us. That this is the place in Columbus, and that we are the people. So Lord, may you broaden his eyes to see where you are leading us. And God, fill him. Be with his family, his marriage, his children. Lord, protect his ears and his eyes from discouragement of the enemy. May he sense and feel the prayers of his brothers and sisters. And may we be faithful to that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, John. God bless you. You're dismissed. He'll be in the lobby over here. And uh, if you want to say hello, blessings. We'll see you next weekend.